Hey beautiful soul, this is the Menopause Coach Podcast with me, your host, Adele Johnston. I'm helping you create a vibrant life of joy and happiness without your menopause stealing your personal power and sass. Together, we're making menopause mainstream. Yes, menopause could be part of the symptoms and the hormonal fluctuations, just where we are at in life and that we haven't learned how to deal productively with difficult emotions. Welcome back to another episode of The Menopause Coach. It's amazing to have you return every single week. Thank you, thank you, and thank you. Today I am joined by a super powerful and influential guest, Dr. Ellen Alberston. Ellen, it's amazing to have you join us. So you are a psychologist, a registered dietitian, national board certified health and wellness coach, a radio talk show host, Reiki master and mindful self-compassion teacher. Amazing, amazing. Known as the Midlife Whisperer, and that is your handle on Instagram, if I'm not mistaken. She helps women to have energy, confidence, and clarity, and to make your next chapter your best. Ellen is a best-selling, award-winning author with inspirational stories to tell, and I believe we're gonna go through a little bit of one of them today, and then we'll come back to revisit that at another time. You're an expert on women's health and well-being, and you've appeared on many different networks, including Food Network and NBC World News, and you've been quoted in Psychology Today, Forbes, and Eating Well, and USA Today. So I can definitely say that you are an expert within your field, which is amazing that we've got time with you today. So thank you for gifting us your life currency. You've got over 30 years of counseling, coaching and healing experience. So I am really excited to dive into this today with you. We wanna cover off midlife depression and menopause and body image today. It's one of the core, if we split those into two topics, they always come back together as one. So this is an amazing discussion point for us to go into. Thank you for that beautiful introduction, Adele. And I have loved having you on my program, Rock Your Midlife. And it's so great to be here and sharing with your tribe, with women who really want to take the challenges of menopause and really turn them into opportunities. So I guess the only thing that you left off is I have now added to my resume, I am a breast cancer um, warrior. So I was diagnosed with HER2 positive breast cancer a couple of months ago. I am doing great. This is not your mother's breast cancer. Um, it is so treatable, so diagnosable, um, but it's been an interesting journey. But we'll talk about that on another um, another podcast, but it's something that you know a lot of women grapple with. Before we hit record on these episodes, Episodes, we spend some time just getting to know one another, which we did on our Your Past show as well. Um, so thank you for having me on there. That is available to listen to now. I will pop a link in the show notes for those of you interested. But on today's session then, we've mentioned that we are going to cover off midlife depression, menopause and body image. But I also am very blessed that Ellen has agreed to come back and to do another episode with us specifically on her breast cancer warrior journey. It's one that comes up time and time again, especially if you are a lady listening to this, entering into or coming out of your menopause, either perimenopausal or postmenopausal, and a little bit anxious about breast cancer. It is one that I think a lot of ladies do have that underlying 
bubbling or simmering little anxiety, especially when we start to go down the road of HRT preparations. I do hear it a lot. I am asked many times each week, each month, is it safe? Can I do this? Will I get breast cancer? So I think from a point of view here that it would be amazing to have Dr. Ellen Alberston back with us to do one specifically on your own frontline experience of, you know, maybe how it came about. Like, how did you discover it and how did you then start to navigate your own journey? So I feel like I would love to gift that as a full episode rather than squeezing it into this one. It needs one on its own, I think. Sounds perfect. Jumping straight into this one, I love to just get into the bare bones of these episodes. And this is a huge one. So midlife depression, menopause and body image. Where do we begin with this one, right? It's it's huge. It is huge. It is one that I'm sure you face into with a lot of the ladies that you talk with and support and help navigate to rock your midlife like we know you do the best. So do you want to share with me a little bit around what have you experienced with ladies in this midlife stage when we talk about menopause and depression, maybe starting at that point? Do you come up against a lot of this? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Women at midlife have the highest rate of depression for any group for our gender and our age. It's one in eight. There is a huge percentage of women who are experiencing depression. The interesting thing about depression menopause is that we don't know if the changes in the hormone balance are directly causing the depression or some of the perimenopausal symptoms are triggering the depression. So people really aren't sure exactly what the link is. My personal feeling is that, you know, it could be some of both, right? Because we are holistic beings, the body and the mind are interrelated. And, you know, when we are hormones are in balance, we're feeling good. Our mind is functioning well. Certainly things like insomnia, sleep loss play a huge role in terms of depression. You know, part of my thought too, is that, you know, as midlife women, we're so busy and we give so much. I mean, midlife is a really, really challenging time. It's really, it's really not a crisis. It's a time that is filled with stress and challenges. You know, we may have growing kids and aging parents. We may be dealing with job issues, particularly if we're going through perimenopause and we're struggling with getting, you know, work done when we're not feeling our best. We may be dealing with financial issues. You know, it's a big time. A lot of people also are dealing with things like divorce health crises, all kinds of stuff. So there's a lot on our plate that can really, you know, have an impact on your mood. The other thing is that, you know, as midlife women, we are the caregivers. Again, we got the teenagers and we've got the aging parents. We're taking care of everybody else. And often we're not doing everything for ourselves. And I feel like sometimes, you know, depression is this big stop sign. Mm. You need to stop. I mean, if we're not really working productively with our difficult emotions, things like grief, sadness, frustration, even anger, we push it down. Right. And I feel like that's what happens with depression. It's like that game. I don't know if you have it in the UK of whack-a-mole. It's an arcade game where you hit these rodents, right? You hit them on the head and then they pop back up. And so what happens is when you have the sense of, I should be feeling this, I don't like this. Maybe I'll, you know, lean into Netflix, overeating, you know, having a glass of wine, whatever it is, shopping, to feel better, to distract myself from those difficult emotions, like the game of whack-a-mole, they come back up. So I feel like it's a combination of, yes, menopause could be part of the symptoms and the hormonal fluctuations, just where we are at in life and that we haven't learned how to deal productively with difficult emotions. 
That is massively powerful. And like anything, you know, when we talk through these things, we have little aha moments. And this is something that comes up time and time again with what you've said there around, you know, the, the kind of mindless acts. So that the, the turning to that suppression of emotion, that numbing, that pushing down and, you know, resulting to things like stimulants like alcohol or drugs, turning to food as that solution or that comfort. When we come to the point of, well, how do we deal with that? You know, what's the solution? What, what do we come up against when we are in our 40s, for example, and we've had all of this past childhood trauma, the build up to perimenopause, where we've maybe never really learned how to deal with our emotions. We've maybe come from family life where it was a, you know, don't cry about it, just get on with it. Do you find that comes up a lot when you're in your space of expertise? Absolutely, because we haven't been trained how to productively deal with our emotions. We are told, you know, from the earliest time we're an infant, if we're crying, if we're upset, what happens? We get the breast, we get the bottle, you know, maybe mom gave us food when we were upset and we, we you know, we, food's a very emotional thing. And then of course we get older and alcohol, what happens is that you feel this difficult emotion and often that that can trigger hormones like, like cortisol, right? So you get this rise in cortisol, these difficult emotions, and rather than dealing with the stress, feeling what you're feeling, naming what you're naming, getting, you know, some help, whether it's coaching, therapy, journaling, doing things to address the emotion, the emotion, you know, all of our emotions are providing us with valuable information. And when we listen to them, it can be telling us something, maybe you're anxious that, well, maybe I need to either learn some breathing techniques or other techniques to deal with my anxiety, or maybe my anxiety is telling me that I, I actually need to prepare and do something. When we start to work productively with our emotions, rather than going for what's called the dopamine squirt. So what happens, we feel these difficult emotions, we get these hormonal rises and like cortisol Instead of addressing the emotion, we go right to the dopamine, which I think of sex, drugs, rock and roll, you know, food, oh. Netflix, those kinds of things to distract us. The dopamine feels good. It's the chemical of reward. It's your brain's chemical of reward. So we can deal with those. The other thing we can do is we can generate what's called oxytocin. Oxytocin is the mammalian chemical of care and connection. It is what we feel when we nurse, when we give someone a hug, when we play with our pets or even stare at our dog, when we soothe and comfort ourselves. So with my work around self-compassion, what I teach people to do is name it, you tame it. So name this difficult emotion. This is fear. This is sadness. This is grief. Call it out, shed a light on it. What that does is it brings it from the primitive amygdala part of our brain, that lizard brain, mm. and brings it to our frontal cortex. Okay. This is what I'm feeling. I'm, I'm recognizing it instead of just acting, pausing, recognizing it, then feel it. You heal it. Emotions are felt experiences in the body. I know you do a lot of work with trauma. Trauma is in the body. I mean, we all know with, with books like the body speaks. So feel it in your body. Where am I feeling this? How could I potentially work this out? And then instead of pushing it away, softening that part of the body, soothing yourself, and then, you know, giving yourself what you need and letting the emotion come and go. So learning, you know, self-compassion is emotional regulatory technique, learning to work with your emotions, learning to treat yourself like a good friend, right? If we had a good friend who was feeling sad, we wouldn't say, go eat a piece of cake or just ignore it. We would, you know, say like, hey, can I come over? What do you need right now? Do you need a hug? Do you need to go for a walk? We do those kinds of things for our friends and we can ask ourselves, 
when I am struggling with a difficult emotion, maybe it's around menopause, you know, you're just not feeling your best and you're kind of feeling like, why is this happening to me? I don't like this. What can I do? You're feeling confused. Don't need to fix it. Just be like, oh yeah, I'm feeling this right now. This kind of sucks. I don't like this. And what, what can I do for myself? Maybe it's just making a cup of tea. Mm-hmm. and doing nothing. What can I do for myself to soothe and comfort myself just because I'm struggling? It's so powerful because we just don't. This is something I find that comes up a lot in conversations, especially when I'm working with my ladies on a one-to-one basis. We do a lot in the mind pillar. We spend a lot of time understanding, you know, how are you feeling that right now? And I find that what comes up a lot in that mind pillar, we do a lot in positive psychology practices. So you'll be very familiar with these. It's practices such as the three good things, where we focus a lot on gratitude. You know, what are you grateful for in this moment? And the whole process, and don't tell anyone because this is this is very hush-hush, the whole process is about us being able to help them to feel in that moment. So there's kind of, you know, method in that madness, if you would call it that, to try and get that connection flowing. How am I feeling right now? And then we start to work through some strategies such as disruptors as we move through. If they notice that they're kicking into a moment of oh, I need to go into the kitchen and just have this this food. This is going to make me feel better. This is when we start to look at, okay, so what is a disruptor? Do we have a word? Is it maybe just a clapping of the hand? When you notice that you're in that self-sabotage state of mind, is there anything that you would disagree within that? No, absolutely not. I think that those are great suggestions. I often have people kind of look at the chain of events. So it's like, it starts at the grocery store, of course, and you're thinking about, okay, I buy the chips at the grocery store, the ice cream or whatever it is. And then, you know, I put it away and I have access to it and we can, we can disrupt that. So, you know, I think the most important thing, as you said, is that, that pausing, right? The disruptor of just taking a moment and asking yourself, what do I really need right now? Like, what am I hoping that that threesome with Ben and Jerry's is going to do for me. And how do I feel that way without the ice cream? And also realizing that the ice cream is really not going to get you there. And the problem is that if when we go for the, you know, alcohol, the ice cream, the shopping, what happens is not only um, have we maybe done a behavior that's not serving us, that's certainly not helping us feel our best as we're going through perimenopause, but on top of it, we haven't solved the problem. So if we're feeling, you know, sad, grieving, anxious, all of these things, there are productive ways of dealing with it that are going to help us to deal with some of our issues or learn how to handle those stress, anxious feelings, those difficult emotions in a more um, productive, efficacious manner. I feel like maybe this is a part where we could dive a little bit deeper into your area of expertise. So We've touched on um, quite a lot in that initial few moments that we've been talking around, you know, that immediate um, suppression of emotions, really, you know, numbing of those thoughts, feelings that we maybe come up against that we don't understand. It's not that we're choosing to just ignore those and not do anything with them. It's it's more that actually we've, we've just not really maybe been, trained maybe the wrong word, but made aware of how to deal with these and that all feelings, all thoughts, all emotions are valid. You can sometimes find that a lot of women push themselves into this, I feel very vulnerable, therefore I I feel shame. I'm not gonna admit that I feel this way. So I'm just gonna have that glass of wine because I now feel stressed. And it can just escalate, can't it? And we can find then that from that space, we're almost coming at it from a continual cycle of finding ourselves 
always coming back to those quote-unquote comfort solutions but we're not going to find those in the wine we're not going to find those in the refined sugars carbohydrate sources so I'm really intrigued to understand a little bit about the link between menopause and depression that you potentially see the most the biggest link that I see it's twofold first is the sleep issue I think that we underestimate the importance of sleep and sleep interruption, insomnia, not getting enough quality sleep is one of the biggest issues that I see in women who are going through menopause. And when you don't sleep well, you just don't feel well. Your body is not refreshed. You're not getting the rest you need. And there's so many things during the menopausal transition that can really interrupt sleep from having hot flashes, the hormone fluctuations. So the first thing I usually tell someone is, you know, get your, get your sleep checked. I know myself, when I was going through perimenopause, my cortisol levels would peak in the evenings and I wasn't able to like relax. And then looking also everything from, you know, again, getting hormone levels checked, working with someone like yourself who can help if someone needs the HRT as something to help them with, and also making sure to have a really good um, sleep regime where you are going to bed at the same time, you're waking up the same time, your room is cool and dark and quiet, and also you're turning off your screens. I know this is a big one for me. If I watch you know, some stimulating media before I go to bed, it's really a problem doing a mind dump. So that's the biggest link I see is sleep and depression. The other thing I see a lot of is natural at midlife, there is a predictable dip in happiness around age 47. The research is across 138 countries. They call it a U-shaped happiness curve. For some reason, women and men, you know, we have a dip in our overall well-being at around age 47. And this is across lots of different countries. And there's a few reasons for that. I think that, you know, at midlife, we suddenly realize that there is less time in front of me than behind me. It's kind of this wake up call where we realize, oh my God, you know, I don't have that much time left. I'm running out of time. We get to this reckoning place where we are like, well, gosh, maybe I won't be able to do all of those things that I always said I wanted to do, the traveling and maybe the job. We, you know, we could feel a little disappointed. Whereas, you know, we're in our 20s, we've got a whole life, it feels like ahead of us. Even though whatever age you are, you've got your whole life ahead of you. And personally, I am loving midlife. Even with the breast cancer diagnosis, I am having so much fun and feeling awesome, but there can be this sense that I'm running out of time. I don't know about what my passion and purpose is. And a lot of times what ends up happening is that we're like climbing this ladder of success, but it's up against the wrong tree or the wrong building. Right. And so what happens is we get to the top and we look around and I'm like, oh my God, I'm not happy. So midlife is kind of this time. And I think menopause adds to that where we're kind of reevaluate who am I? Do I like my life? Do I like my partner? And again, this piece also of taking care of everyone but ourselves. And with, you know, you're going through menopause and you need more self-care. Like self-care, you always need self-care. But I think as you're going through menopause, it becomes even more important to make sure you're eating right. So nutrition as self-care, I'm totally anti-diet. Nutrition is self-care, moving your body, doing your meditation, journaling, playing music, doing things that let you up. And I think that um, that's also a big factor. So I would say, you know, the hormone sleep issue is one, this sort of U-shaped happiness curve. And really um, women aren't doing the self-care that they need. Often what I find with my clients is when they start to do self-care. So when they 
take that yoga class, go to the gym, you know, make time to prepare meals, they start to feel guilty. Yeah. Because I've literally had a client and I do a lot with sort of the subconscious and understanding um, with this immunity to change. I had one client and she desperately needed self-care. But when we looked at what the deep seated feeling was, it was this deep need to be available 24 seven for the grandkids. So she would not book anything. Mm-hmm. Because she felt like if I'm not available, this is again, subconscious stuff, which I'm sure you work with as well, is subconscious belief that if I'm not available all the time, I won't be needed. I won't be loved. So yeah. kind of have to look at this immunity to change around the self-care piece. And self-care isn't selfish. It is so important because you can't give from an empty cup. If you are not taking care of yourself, you're not going to have the energy for everyone else. Amen, sister. You are speaking my language. So self-care is actually one of my non-negotiables with my ladies. I have one more, which is steps for health every day. And it doesn't mean that we have to hit 10,000 steps. It just means we have to get out and get 10 minutes every day of fresh air and walking. So two non-negotiables and one of them is self-cares. You're absolutely 100% with every single woman that I work with, every single woman that I speak with on Instagram and emails, you know, whenever we're doing free trainings or paid for masterclasses. It's the same thing that comes through on the questions. And one of the questions that I ask a lot of my ladies, especially at our onboarding sessions, is what brings you joy? What makes you feel really happy? And a lot of the time that answer's not there. They can't give the answer because we've suppressed who we are inside for so long, unknowingly. And we've come through this journey of we're in our teens, you know, we're, we're coming through the education system. We might further that education system where we might go into the workplace. And then from there, we kind of get on that conveyor belt, don't we, of life. And then we've got mortgages and we've got husbands or wives or partners and children are coming. And then we've got, yeah, everything kind of just spins, doesn't it? Yeah, and the work-life balance is, is really, really tough. I think that there's a lot of research that shows that that's the, the real thing that midlife women Base. And I would say I have a technique in my book, Rock Your Midlife, called Destination Vibration. If you're listening and you're like, where is my joy gone? I have no idea what brings me joy anymore. Don't freak out and beat yourself up about it. This technique, simply what you do is imagine a time in your life where you felt joyful or you felt energized, whatever emotion it is that you want to experience. Maybe it was like taking a great vacation or when you fell in love or when you first had your child, whatever that is visualize it. And what happens using all your senses, really getting that emotional experience and you start to attract that into your life. That's what happened to me. I started to visualize um, when we had the lockdown during COVID, I was visualizing dancing. I love to dance. I've been dancing since I was five and I would see myself at various ages. And I feel like I attracted this beautiful life. I live on a a wonderful, gorgeous island in Lake Champlain in, in the state called Vermont. And my life is just so joyful and so full. I have to literally pinch myself because it's beyond my wildest expectations. And I really feel like I created this really joyful existence for myself because I was vibing with that energy in my imagination. I'm celebrating that with you so much. It's so powerful finding that happiness, isn't it? And that kind of settlement of joy. It is. It's one of these things where a lot of women don't know. They don't know because they've lost who they are inside. They've been there for everyone else. Like you said, it could be caring for elderly parents. You know, our own situation at home is I'm early perimenopausal at, well, 37 when I got officially kind of, I don't use the word diagnosed as much, but just confirmed. 
and my girls are 11 going on 12 so they're coming into puberty starting you know their their periods they're going through this change and I'm coming out the other side and it's like do you know what nobody prepared me for juggling perimenopause and two premenstrual nearly <laughs> teenagers I've been there when my my daughter was going through, we were both going through the change at the same time and it was absolutely crazy. And I think, again, what we're taught about the joy piece is we're taught this consumer culture. Consuming something will make you happy. And that's momentary. It fascinates me the way that the brain works as well, because you touched upon the fact of, in your book, Rock Your Midlife, you take through some steps to success. And through that, you mentioned then about, you know, coming back into that remember a moment come back into and this is a really amazing meditation technique as well is to take yourself back to a moment that you felt so unbelievably happy joyful loved and to be able to visualize that again and what you're then doing with inside the kind of cortex of the brain you know this chemical and neurological balance of the brain's chemistry is about being able to connect isn't it connect back in through thought and we can change our health by thoughts. We can tell ourselves we're either not great, so we're down the road of, oh my God, I'm not good at this. I shouldn't do that. I'm going to fail. Or we can tell ourselves, I'm so powerful. I know I can do this. And either way, we're 100% correct because what we tell ourselves, the brain believes. And it's super interesting. I love it. We underestimate the power of thought. So link between menopause and depression, if I'm hearing you right then, we're coming into this space of things are changing. We've you know, we've spent a lot of our life really in that that space of spinning up careers, living life in the fast lane, having our children, you know, doing all the things. And then all of a sudden, yes, we have this um, hormonal imbalance that occurs, which it is a normal part of the female fertility journey for it to happen. And for some women, it is so debilitating from a chemistry point of view of the brain, but also the physical of the body. And for others, it's not as bad and they kind of navigate through quite easily. So based upon all of that then, why do we feel, and this is probably a really good question that's on the tip of my tongue around when we talked a bit there about the brain. Why do we feel that mindset's so important to be able to manage that stage of perimenopause probably more so in particular, right? Because this is the stage that we start to recognize the body changing. So why is mindset so important? Well, because if we have this feeling like it's all going to be horrible and I'm not going to be able to manage it, well, that's what's going to show up. It's like kind of like putting gasoline on the So You've got this fire called, you know, perimenopause, literally, because you've got hot flashes and things. So you can either accept it and say, okay, this is a challenge. I'm going to get information. I'm going to support myself. I'm going to use this period of my life to make some changes. I'll just use the metaphor with me, you know, going through breast cancer. Mm-hmm. I'm changing some things in my life. And the same thing when I was going through menopause, I needed to like slow down a little bit, be kinder to myself, change some things. Fortunately, I found self-compassion as I was going through it. So we can either have this, oh my God, I don't like this. Why is this happening to me? Mindset, which is going to stop us cold and throwing gasoline on the fire. Or we can say, okay, this is normal. This is natural. There's help out there for me. I'll figure this out. And I'm going to take a little time um, to experiment. And this this is interesting, like what I'm going through right now. And thank God there's just people like yourself and so much incredible information out there to support women as they're going through perimenopause. I don't know so much about where you are 
particularly in the US. I've got some clients who are kind of California side, in Florida. I've got ladies in Australia and Dubai. And what we find is that actually there isn't enough information. There's a lot of information out there that's kind of like, if we separate it and say, you know, this bucket of information is really filled with vibrancy and liberation and empowerment and joy and happiness. And this bucket's filled full of the, well, there's lots of health risks and there's things that we need to be frightened of. And oh my God, like, you know, when we go into menopause, it's like, the end of life is near. And it's like, is it really? Because we can make a choice to some degree. And if anybody's listening to this and you're kind of resonating, thinking, do you know what? Yes, when my mindset is on top, I'm doing the inner work. Yeah, the breath work, the mindset work, the journaling, the gratitude practices. You're training the brain to go back into that happy state. And you're helping yourself to really release all those good chemicals and endorphins. So within that split moment, your thought can change that trajectory. But equally, we're seeing a lot of information where if you type in menopause, it's just, you know, I I did it today actually, just as a test, typed in menopause and then brought up images. And it's just all things that are very kind of like, oh my God, (laughs) is this what I've got to look forward to? We need to change that narrative. This needs to be something that women feel so empowered to go through on their terms. You're right. The the narrative around it does need to change. There certainly needs to be a lot more research and there needs to be a lot more training with the medical community so that they know how to treat women who are going through as myself. I've, I've been through, I went through a couple of years ago, probably about four years ago, and so much less information than there is now. And, you know, OBGYNs are often trained, at least in our country, it's kind of like fertility issues mm-hmm. and getting people through pregnancy. And this sort of other piece has not been addressed at the level that it needs to be. Bringing in the, the, the positive aspects too, which is what you're mm-hmm. so awesome at doing. Yeah, thank you. It's the one kind of big passion that I've got is that this, this is a time where I don't class myself as midlife. You know, and I was having this conversation with someone within the menopause medical space where, you know, we kept on saying, you know, midlife, midlife, midlife. And I'm like, yeah, but we've got to remember that there's a lot of women that go through this very early. Yeah, as young as teenagers, they're not midlife. But equally, we don't know how long we've got. This is another topic of conversation, right? It's that life currency. We don't know when that's going to be up and ending. This might be midlife for me. I don't know. But what's interesting in all of this is I had this conversation over the weekend. I don't actually fear what menopause is bringing because I have the knowledge, because I've been so engrossed and and, and built into the bones of what we've got within research, which is very sparse and sporadic with what we have. But certainly on being able to read and know where to go, know what questions to ask, building up this kind of library of knowledge over the last three years. That's why I'm so passionate about sharing it on platforms like this, to discussing it with amazing experts like yourself in the field. Because the more that we can talk about it, my goal with this episode is that one of the ladies listening to it will have one nugget where she's like, that's what I needed to hear. That's changed my life. So I get super passionate about it. I could talk about this forever. I think one of the big things for me then, and you'll know this because we followed each other for a bit now, which is why we started talking, I'm massive on self-cares and self-compassion. 
And if we don't have our self-compassion, you know, no one else is going to have that for us. So I'm really intrigued, especially because I know that you cover this in your book. So from all of the skills and knowledge you have, why, first off, what is self-compassion? And second, why is it so important that we have that for ourselves in our menopause journey? Well, self-compassion is essentially treating yourself the way you would a good friend. So if you're listening, take a moment, think about maybe something menopause related or think about something, you, a friend of yours goes through something, maybe again, menopause related, maybe it's a relationship issue, a work issue. Think about how you treat your friend. Take a moment and think about that. Now think about yourself. Again, a health issue around menopause, something else, health crisis, relationship issue, something with your work, maybe finances, kids. Think about how you treat yourself. What is your posture? What is your tone of voice? And I have done this with my ladies probably hundreds of times at this point. And 99% of the time, everybody treats their friend differently and much nicer than they treat themselves. If we treated our friends the way we often treat ourselves and our bodies, we would not have any friends. So the whole point of self-compassion is to do three things. There's three elements. First of all, you're kind to yourself rather than critical. There's an action component. So when something goes wrong, when you know you feel like you've messed up, you're kind to yourself. You don't go like, oh my God, why did you do that? You're like, oh wow, you know, that's okay. It's gonna be okay. You made a mistake, it's no big deal. Or just saying, you know, I love you, you're awesome. Treating yourself, talking to yourself in a kind, non-judgmental factor. That's one. Number two is common humanity, which just is this understanding that everybody struggles, everybody suffers, everybody goes through all kinds of things. We all make mistakes. And most people in female bodies go through menopause. So you are, and then you don't feel so alone. You don't feel isolated. This was a revelation when I was looking around this body image and I had very negative body image until the point where I discovered self-compassion and did research on body image and self-compassion. And I was like, oh my gosh, like most women have negative body image. A lot of people have depression. A lot of people go through these things. So the second element is this common humanity. And the third element is mindfulness. And so rather than plowing forward, you know, when you have something goes awry in your life, rather than going right into fix it mode or critical mode, take a breath and you say, what do I need right now? You're mindful of what you're going through and you give yourself what you need to apply this compress of self-compassion. The reason that it's so important is that it works. Mm -hmm. And what self-compassion does is the research really shows is that it lowers depression, stress, and anxiety, and it improves optimism, well-being, going to those doctor's visits. So it's working both ends of the spectrum. It's helping the, the high end, helping you to feel better. And then it's also helping you to treat when you are experiencing difficulties in your life. So I think of it also as like a parachute and a life vest. So it's a life vest when, oh my God, I'm going through perimenopause or I am struggling with my marriage, whatever that is. I've got this resource that's with me 24 seven. And regardless of where you're at with self-compassion right now, it's like a muscle. You can grow. I was very critical of myself, super judgmental, type A personality. Mm -hmm. If I can learn self-compassion, anybody can. So anybody can learn it. So it's a life vest, but it's also a parachute. So it's wonderful if you want to step outside your comfort zone. That's another issue I see at midlife all the time is that we are comfortably uncomfortable, often not going for our dreams, our passions, changing our lives. So with self-compassion, you can take a risk. You can like you know, change your job or write that book, start that business, leave that marriage that isn't working or start dating, whatever that is. 
And if you fail, you know, you know what? I've got this resource. I can pick myself up. So we take more risks. We live more fully, which I think is the essence of what, you know, so much of life is, is just living, transforming and living our best life. So I've found it invaluable. And it's not just me saying this, there are thousands and thousands of research studies that show how incredibly effective it is. It's free. (laughs) (laughs) This is it, right? We've got this amazing toolbox full of these amazing tools that we just don't utilize. I mean, this blows my mind to think that we, and I'm just thinking about my girls going through their kind of academic years, they're never taught how to breathe. And of course, you know that I've done my trauma-informed breath facilitators, and it took me kind of an in-depth six months of many hours of breathing and and understanding and and going through this to, to understand and appreciate. But I'm not coaching in that space yet because I need to learn more through my own breath. And I think what's intriguing with this is I use breath techniques with my girls. And yet, if we taught or if we were explained and taught as children how to breathe properly, because we don't breathe properly, the majority of your day, you're shallow breathing, your body is in that more cortisol releasing, adrenal glands firing state, And the moment that we just stop, and I call it just be, we take that deep breath in through the nose, count of four if you need to count, but just the deepest, deepest breath so your lungs are full, slight hold at the top, and then release through the mouth. It's just, oh, it's phenomenal. Even just four of those, massive amounts of oxygen through the body. And it's amazing how it can turn a really shitty moment into quite a powerful moment for you, the clarity. So there's so much that we can have in this toolbox that we absolutely do not use because we're not taught enough about how our body functions at an optimal level when we're young. Blows my mind. It is crazy the things that we are not taught that are so available and this is just the easiest way to calm down your nervous system. So you talked a little bit there around body image. This is something, again, if you're open to talking about it, body image is something that I find with majority, not all, but majority of the ladies that I support starts off in a very negative space. And over time, through the work that we do, completely transforms how they look and feel about themselves. So I'm intrigued to understand how women in menopause can improve their body image from the work that you do. First thing is realizing too that negative body image doesn't go away. And we, you know, there's so much research where they're studying teens and college students, partially because they're available for research. And there's certainly a link between negative body image and disordered eating. Um, If you don't like your body, you know, a lot of times people think, well, I'm going to change my body. And that's the way I used to be when I was a personal fitness trainer. I was like a alcoholic in a liquor, working in a liquor store. I was working out four to six hours a day, no matter how much I worked out, I hated my body. My body was great. I was like that, you know, that woman who stands up there with the 20 pound dumbbells jumping over her head, you know, doing the squats, but body image has nothing to do with your body. Body image is how you perceive your body through, you know, kinesthetically, intellectually, emotionally, relationally. And unfortunately, we live in a society that says that if you aren't young and thin, then you're not okay. And we're also taught that the most important thing about us is our looks, which is absolutely not true. So we've got this double whammy of we're going through menopause. So, you know, I have meet so many of women I work with, they want to look the way they looked when they were 26. 
Yeah. And they keep the hair the same and they wear the same clothing. And I have to say, I'm always evolving and changing. And I think it's fun as you get d- different ages and stages to change your wardrobe, the way you look, the way you dress, your size. And it's okay. Mm-hmm. Again, this there's a little bit of a natural expansion that can happen. So with body image, you know, to know that, you know, you're not alone in the way that you feel about your body. Menopause certainly can exasperate it because women do the uh, changes in hormone levels can certainly create more of a deposition of fat, particularly around the midline. But I want to say slightly about that because I'm also a nutritionist is that don't blame it all on the menopause. Again, that's that mindset. So if women have like, I'm going to gain weight, Mm -hmm. nine times out of 10, yeah, there's some of that, but I'm also seeing we move less. Mm -hmm. Um, We go through a a muscle loss. Mm -hmm. Um, Our protein needs change. Actually, after 50, we need more protein than before 50. We're not, we're not lifting weights. Hey, I am, I'm lifting weights every other day, every three days. I'm, I'm constantly, you know, gardening, picking things up. So it's not just don't blame it all on the menopause and don't expect it. Not everybody gains weight, but there is, there's, you know, most of the time there's a little bit of a shift Um, And so we feel bad about our bodies. And when we feel bad about our bodies, we feel bad about ourselves. We feel kind of maybe shameful or embarrassed when we go out. Again, we may turn to food to feel better. So it's a vicious cycle. I diet because I've been told by society that calorie deprivation is the way to lose weight to change my body. And then I'll feel good about myself. You never feel good about yourself. When I was a personal fitness trainer, no matter how much I worked out, I never felt good about my body. What shifted it all for me was learning self-compassion. And what happened is self-compassion was the topic of my dissertation. And I was fortunate enough to work with Kristen Neff, who is the pioneer in this whole area. And she was on my dissertation committee. And basically what we did is we sent a podcast, we sent, I'm sorry, meditation. So you can get these on her website. It's just selfcompassion.org. Um, we sent them a body scan, um, loving kindness meditation, and a meditation around breathing. 15, 20 minute, easy meditations. Um, I had a control group and a group who received the meditations and they meditated for about an hour a week for three weeks. There was a significant difference in terms of body shame went down, mm. body appreciation went up, body dissatisfaction went down and self-worth based on appearance went down. So nothing to do with the body. We did not address changing your body. And it just blew my mind that simply practicing self-compassion and even just setting this intention, huh? I'm going to treat myself like a good friend. I'm going to think about that. What does that mean? Maybe the meditations, you know, were evoking the sense of like, wow, I could make a shift, change the way we perceive your body. Because what starts to happen is you can't do that self-talk. You can't look at yourself in the mirror and go, you blank, blank. You know, you can't, you can't do that self-talk. You look in the mirror and you go, wow, I love you and I care about you. And um, I know that as I'm aging, not only do I love the way my body looks and I love my body more than any other time in my life because I have done this kind of work, I really appreciate more than how it looks, how it feels and how it functions. Again, even going through breast cancer, I feel awesome. Like I went through my surgery, I was doing my 10,000 steps the next day because Mm -hmm. I'm in such incredible shape. I've always been in great shape, but now I just really appreciate everything my body does. If you're listening, you've got 32 trillion cells all working together to keep you alive. It is mind boggling. Like there's so much going right with your body and to look and say, oh my God, look at my, uh, whether it's your arms, your legs, your butt, your waist, whatever it is, just to stop it. Just like when it comes up and it will, as you're starting to learn this new self-talk, just be like, well, whoa, 
Look at parts of your body you do like. Maybe it's your hair, your eyes. So there's so much that we can do around body image. It's so fascinating. And I think this is a part that, again, and again, we find this. So in conversations, that a lot of it stems from childhood. A lot of it comes from um, maybe rules that were enforced around food. And um, certainly within the space of, you know, it's a funny one because I don't refer to food as good and bad. I don't refer to food as clean or dirty. Don't refer to food as cheats, you know, cheat meals. You hear a lot of this in the industry, especially in the fitness industry. And it's got that negative connotation attached to it, doesn't it, when we do that? The ice cream van pulls up outside our house if it's before the girls have eaten their meal. They know that they don't need to ask to go out and have one. If they want one, we've got this agreement of it's their body. If they want to have the ice cream, then they might just push dinner back slightly so that they're mindfully present when they're having it. But who's to say that the ice cream has to come after the meal? Yeah, it's this whole piece of it's all food. As long as we are eating to our body's needs, we can also pull in the wants. And this is where that balance gets to come in. I get a bit triggered. Yep, I'm admitting it. I get triggered within the menopause space when we have a lot of influential people saying that menopausal women shouldn't eat any sugar, shouldn't drink any alcohol, shouldn't have any caffeine, shouldn't have this, shouldn't have that, shouldn't do this, but have to do this. It's already a challenging time. And the whole part of this is we want to make this journey enjoyable as possible. So why, why, why can we not have the ice cream? <laughs> yeah, yeah food is pleasurable. And, yeah. you know, I think making a distinction of, and we all eat emotionally, I mean, have those emotional connections, but making the distinction, if I'm really habitually going mm. for the chocolate over and over again, rather than taking care of what really needs to be addressed. But I totally agree with you. And I love your Instagram. I think one of the first things I saw was you were like eating this chocolate and there was something from, I want to say it was from Powers, um, Austin Powers, Austin Powers right? And I was just like, oh my God, that was so cool. I just loved yeah. what you were doing. But yeah, it is. It's so important. I mean, I certainly recommend with the people I work with, the whole food plant-based diet is the one diet that does it all. There's so much research to be shown that eating those plant fibers, those phytochemicals, those phytoestrogens really can make a difference in terms of your, your hormone balance and also, you know, satiety, weight, all of those things. Um, and the problem is that when you say like no chocolate, no chocolate, no, no, any of these things, then you want them even more. Oh, if you give yeah. yourself permission to mindfully eat as you know, as you, you modeled so beautifully, check our Instagram out if you haven't seen it. Um, <laughs> if you sit and you enjoy it and you really like, you get yourself a beautiful truck something you adore, right? A beautiful cupcake, whatever that is. Give yourself permission to enjoy every bite. You realize you're not going to be leaning into the emotional easing or the craving. So often we are craving those things um, because we're not giving yourself permission or we're craving. If you're craving something like if you're craving love or a hug or something, yeah, go, go find another source. But, you know, I like to think of food as like nutri as part of the self-care. Like nutrition yeah. is part of self-care. You're caring for your body, but absolutely, you know, yeah. have that ice cream. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I love it. I love it. It's certainly something where there are some easy habits that we can really embed into our, our life. And this comes from a place of, you know, we may have been really super 
held in a compassionate space as children that we understand that we can have a balance because we don't eat nutrients, we eat meals, we eat food in its entirety. And this is where it can come into the space of, I really coach within the nutrition pillar where we will come in and say, well, can we get two pieces of fruit each day and five portions of vegetables with variety over the week? You know, so each day we're having two fruit, five veg, predominantly plant-based elements and sources, and then introducing protein base. Yeah, most main meals, let's make sure we've got protein in there. So there's some easy things that we can follow to make sure that we're ticking those self-cares of nutrition that then allow us to have the fr- there was a Fredo bar that I'm eating in that Instagram post. Um, you're guilt-free. This is where it has to come from. And it's when you, you, you mentioned something around, you know, when we're very mindfully present. What I have discovered from learning intuitive eating principles and really, you know, being embedded and practicing those is we actually find that a lot of foods become, as soon as we heighten and we use our senses, a lot of foods become less, let's say palatable. So there's parts of this where we'll connect in and say, am I enjoying this? Is this reaching my expectations of what that donut was going to taste like? And I've very often found myself leaving quite a lot of it and it goes away. Why we think that like vegetables don't taste good. Like my fiance is this master gardener. We have this massive garden and I love, I'm an amazing cook, but I love eating vegetables and fruit. And I would, you know, salad, eating a salad is not punishment for me. It's like, it's, it's just what I do because I love my body and I do these things because I love myself and I want to take care of myself, but it also tastes really good. Yeah. Do you know, you've, you've really just sparked something in my mind there as well. Again, just saying that you and I are both from this place where we have got this ultimate self-compassion for our bodies. Yeah, and it's that love, that inner love for ourselves. You know, every morning I do those daily affirmations. You know, I get in the shower and I'm like, I am powerful, I am worthy, I am loved, I am beautiful. You know, I, you know, and then this helps, this helps me to really be present with who I am. But a lot of the time where this whole fruit and veg piece comes from, and this is through conversations with ladies I support, they were almost forced to eat their vegetables as children. You must eat that off the plate before you can have the chocolate. So it was that demonization of, you know, we're going to punish you before you get the chocolate. And this is where, you know, if you're a parent listening to this right now and you think, oh, geez, that's what I do. It's allowing that food to be fun. It's knowing that if you have to pop a little bit of maybe tomato ketchup on the plate so that the broccoli gets eaten, that's okay. It's fine to do that. So we put ourselves under a lot of pressure, I think, as as children, as adults, as parents. And it's just about really settling into it, isn't it? Yeah. And I think that we sometimes overemphasize it too, that we focus so much attention on it. I mean, when I tell people, it, we, and there's all of this nutrition confusion, again, it's eat more plants, don't eat anything your grandmother wouldn't have eaten and eat until you are satisfied rather than stuffed. I love this plate method where you fill up the, the top half of your plate with vegetables, any kind of vegetables, your protein's about the size of your um, palm 
and your carbohydrates about the size of your fist, just as a gentle, you know, sort of a gentle guideline of what to eat. Cause it's so like, do I do paleo? Do I do keto? Do I do intermittent yeah. fasting? I mean, it can be really, really mind boggling. And I think it's partially the media's fault because how boring is it to say eat more plants? And of course, when we're eating more plants too, we're also helping the planet out because there's a, a that, you know, and I'm not, again, I'm not knocking animal protein at all, but you know, just you using it, you know, wisely for our bodies and for the planet. But I, I agree with you. And I, what I did with my kids is I would make these beautiful veggie plates, right? They would come home from school starving. That's another thing, listening to your hunger. I know you do intuitive eating. So, you know, eating when you're hungry and not and asking yourself, am I really hungry right now? And if I'm not, what is it that I really need? Mm-hmm. But with my kids, they would come home hungry from school. So I'd have this massive plate of, you know, fruits, veggies, dips, all kinds of things. And they would gobble it down. I love that. We actually don't have breakfast, lunch or dinner times in our household. So this is something that we've very much operated from since the girls were babies. It's a, are you hungry? and the food is ready when it's, it's made, there might be occasions where I'm not hungry when Sean and the girls are hungry. We'll sit together and I'll maybe have a drink or something like that. But yeah, it's sometimes a, we, we eat when we're hungry. We shouldn't feel that we're pressurized because it's hit 5 p.m. and all of a sudden it's our dinner time. It's about really embracing and listening to the beautiful tunes of the body, isn't it? Absolutely. Well, I could literally sit here and talk to you all evening. We have connected on such a high level. But before I end our session today, I'm super, super privileged and pleased that you've come on to do this and that you're going to come back and speak to us about your breast cancer journey as well. I think there'll be a lot of powerful themes that come through from that. But where can people find you? And I know that you have a amazing freebie that you are gifting to every listener here listening today that will be in the show notes. So thank you for that. Do you want to maybe just let us know where we can find you and a little bit about your freebie? Sure. Well, thank you for that. So I am the midlifewhisperer.com. I do get impersonated, but I'm the only midlifewhisperer.com. So you can just go to the midlifewhisperer.com on the, the midlifewhisperer on Instagram as well. I'm Dr. Ellen Albertson on Facebook. So I'm easy to find. If you Google Midlife Whisperer, I will pop up or you can just go to my website. And the freebie is 10 tips to rock your midlife. And in that freebie, it's a lovely little um, booklet that gives you all kinds of exercises and information addressing some of the things we talked about that at midlife, you might, you know, and when as you're going through perimenopause, you, you want to start doing things differently. And sort of I boiled down, condensed my, I've been working, and interesting enough, working with women at midlife, um, for almost 30 years, even before I was at midlife myself, kind of boiling down all of my wisdom from my various trainings and experiences working with women, my own experience. And so that'll help you to be happier, healthier, improve your well-being, learn self-compassion. And that'll also um, get you on my mailing list so you can connect with me. So the midlifewhisperer.com is a place to go. We will pop that in the show notes as well, just to make it easy. So you guys have a click through if you go into the show notes. Dr. Ellen Albertson, this has been amazing. I have loved your energy. I love your brain and I've loved chatting with you on this very brief podcast episode. So we have covered midlife depression, menopause and body image. And until next time, have an amazing day. I truly hope this episode has sparked something vibrant inside of you. I ask only one thing. To help keep these episodes coming, please subscribe and share with another in your life. That's how we reach more women worldwide and we help them step into their power. 
because together we are working to remove any of the stigma and taboo that surrounds menopause. This does not need to be a daunting, a scary, a taboo time in anyone's life. So together, let's make menopause mainstream.